This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 128 here on the Huskies Warming House Podcast. Myself, Noah Grant, and my co-host, as always, Nick Maxson. For those of you who don't know, Noah royally effed up the beginning of the show, <laughs> and we had to redo it again, so it's fine. We're doing it live now. Anyway, uh, Noah, just, just to admit it, you're suffering from a case of multiple personality disorder, and you thought that you were me, and you were still you, so... Uh... Why do, I I su- why do I suddenly feel shorter and like I don't have a set of hands? Anyway, uh, oh. whoa, 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 whoa. Video would prove otherwise, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> we're, we're, on, we're on the come up, I think. Speaking of, team, of a team that certainly is doing very well, uh, the number one team in the NCHC, at least for what we've picked for next season, they're on the docket in our second to last NCHC preview. That's what we're going to go over in today's show. A very abbreviated Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Some pretty interesting tidbits, actually. Um, some pretty big signings late in the season. Uh, as well as uh, Hall of Fame induction, uh, some team that's going to be playing in a building that's a lot smaller than they're used to, and a lot of other interesting Mm -hmm. tidbits that uh, I think will be well worth your time, actually. And then, extra ice session, we're going to talk about the Women's World Championships, kind of wrapping that up, and unfortunately, that's not the only thing we have to talk about related to the Women's Worlds. Uh, A certain organization certainly just doesn't want to stay out of the limelight for all the wrong reasons. No. Uh, With that being said, uh, we start with Center SU News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Center Ice View News and Notes, Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah. And, you know, I don't fish very often. I maybe go once, you know, once, once a year for a couple of days when I'm up at the cabin, yeah. but I'll tell you what other NHL teams, they went fishing this week and some of them, well, they caught some pretty big fish. So, um, yeah. in Ottawa, they didn't say catch a fish, but they, they definitely, you know, kept him on the hook per se that we're yeah. talking about Tim Stutzla. Might as well, um, might as well yeah, dive right in here. Yeah. Diving right in, um, <laughs> eight years. million per season. Um, That's a total package of 66.8 million uh, for the German phenom. Uh, Holy cow. Uh, Slight overpayment. Do you think no or no? You know, it's interesting. Also, the sense adding Eric Brandstrom on the back end for another year as well too. the defenseman kind of really hasn't broken out the way that he has hoped so far. So sense kind of looking for him to produce a little bit more, but uh, Tim Stussel is certainly uh, no stranger to the production wise, 
again, it kind of goes back to a little bit of what we talked about with Tage Thompson last week. And it looks like an overpay until he performs the way that he has. I think that his ceiling has not yet been reached as a player. So I think it looks like a steal if he continues to progress the way the Sens think he's going to. Right now, you're maybe paying a little bit more up front for what you're getting. Um, but I think there's no doubt that he's going to be a superstar in this league. And I think he's going to be part of that face of the franchise in Ottawa. So I think if he trends the way that he has, I don't think it will be an overpay. But I think this goes back, uh, ironically enough, you talk about uh, fishing after Labor Day in the middle of September. This is about the time where we had uh, started to see Kirill Kaprizov get signed last year. And the same conversation surrounded him. And he certainly blew that out of the water, fishing puns all aside. Um, you know, so... I think Tim Stutzla is the same case. I think, you know, what did he go third overall a couple of years ago? Is that right? Um, is that right? You know what? I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, um, but I but I feel like Ottawa, you know, they know what they have. Um, and he's definitely a guy that I think will be worth that if he trends the way that he has been. So now, dare I say, I kind of tricked you there because I almost think this is going to look more team friendly. Yeah, exactly. Um, close. And I say that because let's, let's remember the offseason Ottawa's had. Uh, Alex DeBrinkin. Um, who am I missing? Claude Giroux. Uh, Claude Giroux. Um, just to name a few. Uh, some guy by the name of Cam Talbot. Cam Talbot. So, <laughs> you know, the right amount of talent and dare I say, pretty darn good talent around him. Um, this may be actually a steal of a contract that we may look back on and say, "Whoa, you know, yikes, Ottawa, you kind of got fleeced there." And and good for Tim Stutzla for inking that term. Um, because uh, now you're locked in uh, throughout your essentially throughout your prime years too as well. I think 29 or at least 30 when the contract does end. So for um, I think good for both sides, honestly. Um, as you mentioned, since also adding Eric Brandstrom. Um, speaking of fishing puns, because we can't go along because we've started this. How about the one that got away from <laughs> the Minnesota Wild? Right? Um, there were talks around this player. We're talking JT Miller. Um, where Vancouver maybe was looking to sell last year, the deadline, but then yeah. Bruce, there it is. Um, hmm. uh, switch that one around. Um, and how about this? He, he's, he's not going to be going away anytime soon. If you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, seven year extension, $8 million a season. Um, still one year left at five and a quarter for his previous deal before that one kicks in. Uh, so that means he'll be 37 years of age when the, uh, this last year of this next extension does, uh, come to an end. So, um, I think this is good for Vancouver. Um, I think they are trending in the right direction. Um, I like a few of the little things that they've done with the new regime and, uh, Again, locking up, I think it's going to be a key piece, especially down uh, the middle there for the Canucks that are in JT Miller. Yeah, my price point was seven years, seven million is what I was thinking. So, you know, a million more per season, average annual value. And he's a guy that, you know, he slots in the top six and just is a reliable centerman. You know, he's someone that you're going to get a lot of utility from. And I mm -hmm. think as he gets longer and longer into his contract provided obviously he stays healthy he's someone that you slot in that middle six or that third line role as he starts to deteriorate like most nhlers do um and he's still very serviceable as a centerman that could be very versatile in that role so um I, I think it's a great signing for vancouver and really we entered the season thinking the canucks maybe might not be able to pull some things off and somebody was going to be on their way out um i think alleviating that travis hamannick contract really helped that was kind of mm -hmm. godsend for them um and then they were able to find that found money essentially with JT Miller inside him. So I think it's a good pickup for the Canucks and really Vancouver is a curious case um, in terms of the way that they're trending because 
they are a team that it's hard to get a read on them. Um, but I feel like they got better over the offseason or really kind of laid their foundation for what they're going to be moving forward. And really, mm-hmm. you can't really have said that for Vancouver in the past couple of seasons. It's kind of a, a topsy-turvy little ride in the past couple of years. It has. And uh, dare I say, if if anything, Vancouver looking to really just try to keep the train rolling. I mean, they had an outside chance to crack um, yeah. a playoff spot in the Pacific Division. Uh, late last year, they were one of the hotter teams in the second half in the entire National Hockey League. And so if anything, just trying to keep most of those same pieces together. I think they did that. And as you mentioned, maybe shed a little bit of excess weight. Um, curious case, as you mentioned, they may be sort of that unsung dark horse in the Pacific division this year, if things go right for them. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but uh, walking up a key piece uh, down the middle for them was uh, a big, a big, a big part of that off season puzzle. Uh, let's head out East stain North of the border, right? Um, Canadians and Kirby doc, the recently acquired Ford from the Chicago Blackhawks of uh, four years, $3.36 million per season with them. Uh, 20 more years of age. There's still a lot of ceiling left for this kid. Uh, only 26 points in 70 games last year. But um, honestly, you know what? Do you kind of feel like this was a down year in it for a down franchise? And there's a lot more to be had with Kirby doc. Yeah, I mean, career high technically for him with 26 points in 70 games last year. Interesting to see if he flourishes a little bit more. Montreal is kind of uh, sh- what Chicago hopes to maybe be in about a year or two, you know, it's slowly mm-hmm. trending in the right direction. So maybe he'll find more success. He'll certainly get a kick at the can and some good opportunity. I think whether or not he's able to take that in stride, I don't know. Um, he kind of gave the impression early on that maybe he did a little bit better in sheltered minutes, maybe surrounded by some veteran guys. So we'll have to see how his deployment is used with Marty St. Louis and that coaching staff there. Um, but I like the price point. It really, for someone who does, like you mentioned, have a potential ceiling that is much higher than what we saw. It's not a terrible price point. Um, four years, uh, you know, is a long time if it doesn't go well, but he's only 21. So a lot of development, I think, to be had for him. So not really that risky of a signing for Montreal. And I think it's going to pay off for them in the end. I agree. Um, another move from the Canadians also um, adding a restricted free agent that might Caden Primu at three years, um, $890,000 per season. Um, speaking of the youth movement in Montreal, Caden uh, Primu also very young, 23 years of age, 12 games played, 4.62 goals against average, 868 save percentage, and a 171 record. Um, this is interesting because now with a giant question mark. It sounds like not only the um, season is lost for Carey Price, but potentially his NHL career could also be in jeopardy. And so now the Montreal Canadiens, um, you're never going to replace a Carey Price. Um, you're never going to replicate maybe his skill set, um, you know, essentially through trades, especially in today's NHL where the seller cap is at. So to me, it's a stopgap and uh, probably looking to probably add maybe more of a uh, a true number one goaltender through the draft, maybe as early as next season, but Caden Primo getting a shot to at least an in-depth role with the Canadians organization. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, their goaltending situation has been put in flux. Their timeline hasn't mm-hmm. been exactly clear for them, unfortunately. Um, and as somebody from the athletic put it, I can't remember who I had read the article from the goalie market has been really uh, undersaturated, so to speak with the additions of Vegas and now Seattle, it's just, mm-hmm. you have goaltenders that, um, sometimes it was few and far between to find true starters or even true capable backups in the NHL. And when you add four more positions on two more teams, essentially, I think it makes it all the more difficult. So Montreal, I uh, put them with the list of many that are suddenly searching for goaltending help here in the National Hockey League.
Hundred percent. A couple of other just minor moves here. Uh, Sam Gagne uh, uh, signing a one-year deal with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, League minimum, essentially one year, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Thirty-three-year-old player. He's uh, definitely a veteran of the league. Thirty-one points in eighty-one games for Detroit. I think uh, the Red Wings are hoping for a little bit more of a surge there. Um, But uh, again, the Winnipeg Jets just getting a little bit of veteran depth there with Sam Gagne, and then also uh, just as I think just today, Mikey Anderson in Los Angeles re-upping the young defenseman at one year, $1 million. Uh, Mikey Anderson, I, I think more well-known for getting absolutely walked by yeah. Kaprizov. Um, but we know him more better as the former UMD Bulldog defenseman that's got um, a lot more two-way capability and uh, Los Angeles given another shot to prove that he, uh, he belongs in the National Hockey League. I tend to agree with Los Angeles. I think he's got more of a ceiling, just needs a little bit more uh, maturation. Again, defenseman uh, mature a little bit uh, longer um, at that level. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, low risk, high reward, right? One million dollars is a not a big price point to pay. And, you know, you kind of wonder about these guys that it takes them a little bit while to get a crack in the lineup. And then when they finally do, they kind of find they find their stride. I think of a guy that maybe is a good comparison, maybe like Derek Forbert a couple of years ago that played yes. for Los Angeles and Minnesota as well. You know, kind of took him a while to get that opportunity. And then once he kind of established his footing a little bit, became a very reliable two-way defenseman who had a pretty decent little career in the National Hockey League. So good comparison. And uh, ironically enough, also played for the Kings. So speaking of getting a crack at things, right, a couple of professional tryout is PTO season, right? And a couple of names uh, that all of us should know if you follow the National Hockey League. Uh, Zach Aston Reese, uh, who's been, uh, well, geez, shall we say a former Penguin now getting a PTO with the Toronto Maple Leafs. That you speaking of high risk or sorry, low risk, high reward. That one I think is number one in most people's books. If that works out, yep. uh, Calvin DeHaan, a PTO with Carolina and Danny DeKaiser, um, the lifelong Detroit Red Wing getting a PTO with none other, the Vancouver Canucks who uh, could also use a little bit of depth uh, to their lineup as well. Yeah, certainly. I like the uh, Zach Aston Reese look, like you mentioned, of course, was in Anaheim for a little bit too. And uh, maybe a surprising name to see on there. I feel like he's been productive in a bottom six role in the National Hockey League, but uh, Toronto is going to definitely give him a good look. Uh, somebody that was, I don't know, maybe a deaf player, kind of a middle six guy for much of his career, Matthew Perot, retiring from the National Hockey League, only 34 years of age, and will join TVA Sports as a broadcaster for the organization. He'll only played in 25 games last year with Montreal, had nine points and kind of started to decline very rapidly. Of course, a little water bug, tiny little centerman, played for Winnipeg for many, many years, wearing number 85. Uh, hit the 15-goal mark five times during his NHL career. Eclipsed 40 points in a single season on four separate occasions, playing in just under 760 NHL games. So, um, you know, he was a guy that just maybe was kind of flew under the radar a little bit, both stature-wise and production-wise. Right, and I think most of uh, his offense, you know, is... I said that in the most Canadian accent way. Yeah. Offense. The offense. Uh, yeah, the offense. I mean, actually, as a member of the Washington Capitals, too. Um, you know, most of his memorable moments coming in a, in a Capitals uniform. I think, again, uh, both Winnipeg and Washington wanting more from him. It just never really, you know, panned out for him, which is unfortunate. Like you said, there were some moments here and there, but consistency was an issue with Matthew Pro. And again, a player that I think, looked at it as more of a, a guy that had a higher ceiling, just never really, really was able to really reach it. So it's unfortunate, but Hey, he had a, a decent career in the national hockey league, getting over 700 games played again, the point totals, maybe even for himself were probably some left on the table per se, maybe in Vegas terms, but still a pretty decent career again, spending over 700 games in the national hockey league. Certainly would agree. Speaking of someone who had a very lengthy career, Nick, this isn't in your notes because I just added at the end, 
Ryan Miller, 2001 Hobie Baker Award winner, was a 2022 inductee to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes. Along with former Wisconsin star, longtime USA Hockey exec Jim Johannesson, of course. Um, yep. Did a lot of good work with USA Hockey there. But no surprise here. I mean, Ryan Miller, uh, probably the most successful U.S.-born goaltender in history. Ironically enough, uh, ended up having a career where he didn't actually play goalie until the age of 12. He was playing in a mm-hmm. hockey tournament and told his dad, you know, if I do something, can I get some goalie gear? And his dad said, well, you got to score a hat trick. And he went out and buried three. So, uh, <laughs> and you know, never looked back and kind of crazy. One of the most successful NHL goaltenders, obviously. So of course, remembering him, especially in the early days playing for Buffalo. I mean, he was just absolutely um, unstoppable in the net there. So well-deserved part of that uh, first big outdoor game for Michigan state, as well as the yes. big house back in the early two thousands. So I'm sure you remember Ryan Miller, probably a little bit better than I do. I would think. Yeah, he was, you know, the marquee goaltender in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, again, when Buffalo was very competitive. Well, we talked about Buffalo last week with Tage Thompson and some of the names, uh, you know, going back to, geez, Yoke and Hesh. I mean, even throw Jason Pominville in there in his early days was yeah. a very productive player. Uh, some notable, maybe some one of us, Maxima Fenegenoff, you know, to name another one. Um, but also more importantly, how funny is this? U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame in Neboleth, Minnesota, he played his last National Hockey League game here in St. Paul um, as a member of the Anaheim Ducks. So, um, And I think the Wild also gave him a very favorable, uh, nice, respectable send-off in his final game there, too. I think his parents were also inside the Excel Energy Center when that happened. So kind of a, a fitting circle there um, when you talk about Ryan Miller there um, getting inducted to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame here in the great state of Minnesota. Yeah, everyone obviously excited for Ryan Miller. Um, and they had to make sure that Milan Lucic didn't come through the middle on that one for sure. Uh, uh, not only that, but also uh, coming uh, down on a dump in where yeah. Wheeler was out of the net. Yikes. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. I've, uh, I've never, seen nasty a goal, never seen a goaltender flip that many times. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, you're going to flip out when you hear this, Nick. Arizona, once again in the news, um, they are expecting to. Yeah. They were expecting to sell out every game at the 5,000 seat mullet arena next season. Single game tickets, tickets, which are limited will go on sale early next week. The average price is $170 per ticket and the league average is $154. So actually not too shabby. Um, And it sounds like, dare I say, it sounds like the novelty item of them playing in this building. It sounds like there's actually a lot of fan buzz and a lot of fan interest um, for people to go and catch an Arizona game down at that rink just to kind of be part of the experience. And um, as the Steve Dangle podcast alluded to, um, if it ends up working out where it helps grow the game and create that footprint for the next couple of decades for this organization, it will be a win for Arizona. It just doesn't look like it right now with all the brouhaha that's happened before. But I don't know, to be honest with you. I think it actually be would be kind of fun to catch a game down there, down in Arizona, to be honest with you. There is some sort of novelty and intimacy with having a building with fans so close and having all of those components so close to the ice sheet. True. And from the fans' perspective, there's that novelty there, too. The weird thing about it is, and I think, I don't know if this has been mentioned multiple times, but I know it's been reported that you talk about the margins or the profit, Apparently, they're getting more back per ticket on the dollar as the organization at Mullet Arena than they were at uh, Gila River Arena in Glendale. So small jab to uh, the city of Glendale there. Kind of funny. But this is the weird part is that behind the scenes, from what everything I'm hearing is that 
again, the, the National Hockey League, they'll never come out publicly and say this. The organization, I mean, and even the NHL Players Association, apparently quietly behind closed doors are not liking this as a long-term solution. Right. And dare I say that, you know, this is still, and I think, dare I say the novelty of this is that there's still so much unknown about the Arizona Coyotes, right? Noah, that is, you know, the Arizona, the, the Tempe, excuse me, city council voted to continue negotiations. There's still technically not an approved arena deal yet for the Coyotes organization. Now it's fully expected this fall that there would be a final decision to either, yes, you can go ahead and build this thing, or no, you can't build this thing on at least proposal number one. I say that because there have been rumblings of a backup plan. Again, we're talking about the location specifically um, right. within Tempe. Um, so dare I say the novelty is more, I think, driven by the size of the arena, and more so this could be either A, a one-year ripoff, and I shouldn't say maybe say ripoff, but a one-year case where the Coyotes organization are trying to find another home because they yeah. don't have one technically, or it could be the start of what maybe could be what was originally agreed to up to what a four to five year deal to play at Mold yeah. Arena. And as this thing is getting built, uh, this thing meeting the Tempe plan as it was proposed to back in the spring. So, um, yeah, I, I think it'd be fun in the novelty sense. You kind of wonder though, uh, does the honeymoon phase wear off after year one? Um, or does it, you know, or is there a genuine buzz there? I think we're, we have yet to see that, but kind of fun either way. Yeah, well, like you said, the, the what it comes down to is, are we in the last couple of years of the Arizona Coyotes or not? Really, that's yes. what this, the question actually is. So um, I think, you know, if anyone, you know, is taking a vacation down in Arizona, you can snag yourself a ticket. I would say go, let us know how it is. I think it would be a lot yeah. of fun. So um, certainly interesting. Um, I wonder what actually the lowest uh, attendance rating not like average attendance, but like building capacity has been for a team. Has when's the last time an NHL team was under six thousand people? You know, um, I have no so idea. So the Coyotes themselves last year averaged a shade over eleven thousand. Right, right, but that's average attendance. I'm saying like, when is the last time somebody actively played in a building that does not have a capacity over like six thousand people? Like Ooh. actively, like like not for like a novelty game or like hockey, right? Town, but say like but an actual. Hmm. I mean, the closest building is maybe the MTS Center or Nassau Coliseum, which both were about fourteen to 15,000, but even that is right. three times the size. So um, yes. I'm not really sure. Kind of interesting. If anybody happens to know the answer, tweet us at Warming House Dan, and we would love to know the answer, quite obviously. Would it be, would it be the Cleveland Barons, maybe? I don't know. You were probably alive. I definitely wasn't. So according to according to Caleb, most recently at the time of recording, apparently I was <laughs> born uh, before the turn of the 20th century. Um, yeah. And granted, yes, I, I don't have my glasses on Caleb, but even then I still can see that that math is not correct. That's so that, that's bifocals to you. But anyway, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, we're going to make that for context. I don't think so. I don't Again, know. We well, should check that. Well, we're going to take this horse-drawn wagon away here, and we're going <laughs> to we're gonna head on over to some... Trying to go across the Oregon Trail, and we're somehow going to die dysentery, but that's fine. Well, we're going to go to the Red River Valley here in the state of North Dakota for our next NCHC preview. <laughs> and welcome into episode number 128. Nick Maxson, if you're just transitioning with us from the last portion of the show, I think you really liked that transition. I think that was you don't, one of my... you don't, you don't do those well often. That was spot on. 
Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I do yes. know I do know where the Red River Valley is. I mean, I do, you know, I do live in America's wasteland, as one would say. Um, speaking of America, though, Nick, before we get started for our, our second to last NCHC preview, of course, recording this uh, on September 10th, of course, tomorrow, uh, 9-11. I uh, mm -hmm. so kind of in recognition of that we've talked a little bit last year I think about where each each of us was but I think it's important you know is there anything quick that you want to say in regards to I uh, of course uh, a very somber time in American history obviously is uh, we get ready for the excitement of hockey season certainly uh, taking a step back uh, and taking a look at uh, our country and the transitions that you know they've gone through. Yeah, remember that day very clearly. Um, and for just for the record, I was only 14 years of age when this happened. Uh, watched the second tower. I believe I've said this before in the podcast. Yep. Hit live as it was being covered, um, and I believe it was Good Morning America. We were watching this uh, whole thing unfold as a freshman in high school. Um, very, I, I, and at the time, very bizarre. Um, no one really knew. Um, what was going on i think initial reports was that it was a cessna plane that hit the tower and then obviously as more and more unfolded uh second plane now this is not an accident this is an intentional thing and then as you know you ground the aircraft across the country which has never been done uh holy cow uh the world changed for america it changed in terms of its outlook um i think also for everybody that yeah. we aren't you know, insulated in a bubble that we, we are vulnerable essentially to, to be attacked. Um, and more so very hitting home for me as, as someone who has a, had a parent and has a parent now. So that works in the travel industry and as a flight attendant, right. This was, this was scary. Um, yeah. especially and, for, for me. Yes. And you know, I, I mean, I was five, so I remember the second tower hitting as well. Cause my mom had flipped on the TV. We were in the living room and I remember that as well. Of course, both my parents were government employees before they retired. So, um, there was obviously that extra added piece of that too, but I think it's interesting because it's an event that it will never happen again. And when I say that I'm not necessarily referencing, uh, that things like that can't happen again or that, um, you know, like TSA obviously has changed and that sort of thing, but really mm -hmm. it was an age before social media. So like you mentioned, the reaction and the way that we were able to integrate information as a populace um, was so disconnected in a lot of areas that today it probably wouldn't just because of how interconnected we are in terms of like networking and internet and things like that. So it was certainly a different time where not to say the event itself couldn't happen again. You hope something like that never happens again. But right. I think like the coverage and the way that we would respond as a society would be much different now. Um, and there have been yes. some really good good things have that have come out of such a tragedy like 9-11 was. But obviously, you know, time for remembering too. 100%. Um, and, and, you know, a little couple of tidbits too. The news ticker effectively came from the coverage of 9-11. Yeah. Uh, number two, effectively also one thing that we will never see again is, and you probably don't remember this, Noah, but in airplanes, um, instead of your TV screen, it was essentially a collect phone with a credit card swipe. And that was how a couple of, you know, of folks who attempted, uh, most notably a Minnesota guy, tried to uh, retake over for, you know, United 93. Um, his famous last words, let's roll, were because he was able to make that phone call. You don't have those in aircraft anymore. Um, so, you know, a lot of things have changed for the good. Um, yeah. From this, we, we've definitely learned. Um, again, TSA wasn't a thing before 9-11. Uh, let's, let's remember that. And, you know, for obviously, I think, 
more importantly, um, obviously, we still remember the everybody, the first responders, mm-hmm. obviously, the victims in the towers inside the Pentagon, inside the aircraft that lost their lives on that tragic day. But more so, um, you know, I think that's got to be number one was re- is remembering the victims and the families that have been affected by it. But number two, to know that, you know, America has been forever changed because of that. And that's that's number one. Yeah, and certainly tried to move on and thrive and prosper since then. Speaking of thriving and prospering, Nick, uh, as we get into our second to last NCHE preview, I want to say thank you to our listeners and our viewers. Uh, Over 2,400 plays for the previews for the ones that we've done so far and over 12,000 minutes watched on the YouTube channel as far as our previews are concerned. So um, really exciting uh, for us to be supported by uh, people as we go through and get ready for some college hockey action. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, Thank you to our listeners as we get ready for what we would pick as the number one team in the NCHC for next season, the North Dakota Fighting Hawks, who, of mm-hmm. course, last season played in uh, a building that, uh, speaking of capacity, Nick, uh, I think is doing pretty well for itself. Uh, yeah. Ralph Engelstead Arena, 11,500 is the listed capacity. I think it can actually get to around 12,000 uh, with standing room. room. Yep. Um, and they have that party deck that's kind of up there too of course grand forks north dakota um head coach brad barry his eighth season at the helm coming up of course a 2002 und graduate former player as well assistant coach dane jackson his 17th year behind the bench uh, a 1992 graduate and someone who's been rumored for a long time to be headed to many other places and somehow stays put at the university of north dakota uh, mm-hmm. as far as hockey is concerned uh carl gehring uh fourth season for him Former uh, UND uh, player as well, two-time All-American, uh, also a national champion back in 2000, uh, and uh, back-to-back national championship games for him uh, in 2000 and 2001 that he led that yep. team to. Uh, and one of his teammates, Jason Ulmer, was a senior in 2000. He's the volunteer coach in his fourth year, um, 15-year pro career in the AHL, IHL, and UHL as well. So um, definitely have a lot of history players coming back to North Dakota, you can understand why the appeal, obviously with the amenities and that sort of thing, the rich program history that they have. Yes. Uh, when you look at this coaching staff, I mean, you know, Brad Berry has been uh, a recipient of the NCHC coach of the year award numerous times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly been well-deserving. What do you like about this program as far as the organizational uh, components here? I think for Brad Berry, Noah, the one thing he doesn't get enough credit for is how well he recruits. Um, it's easy to assimilate Ralph Engelstead Arena to be a main draw. And granted, it is. It's a big part of it. Um, when you have, when you can play in front of almost twelve thousand people night in, night out, and some very passionate hockey fans. We'll right. Leave it, we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 a it's a gorgeous building. I mean, I hate to say it as you know, and a you know, as essentially as a as a rival. But I mean, as a player, if you know you have the opportunity to play in front of a building like that, you would. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, you know, for recruits, it, it's not just the building, right? It's the coach, and Bradbury is a heck of a coach, as noted with multiple NCHC Coach of the Year awards. Um, and I think that goes understated from him quite a bit. Is that he's able to take in the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, losing some star power, um, you know, let's go back a couple of years, Jordan Kawaguchi. Um, how about, uh, the Chaska kid? Why can't I think of a Washington capitals, uh, uh, mm-hmm. system here? Oh my gosh. I can see him. Uh, I can see his face, but I can't get his name and I'm going to get absolutely ridiculed for it anyway. Right. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, there's been so much talent that goes through and you've got to be able to develop and you got to be able to make him better. Right. And he does that. Um, he's 
for what was the height, I think, of North Dakota hockey. Again, the WCHA, when all the rivals they had, it kind of took a back seat a little yeah. bit. Uh, and obviously, taking over for, for Dave Haxtell, um, he's put the program right back on the forefront. I don't think it ever really dropped that much, to be honest with you. Um, but he's made them the perennial powerhouse that we uh, are accustomed to. And yeah. I think, uh, and I think it's you know right to give credit at the top, Radbury. He's a great human being. Talked to him multiple times. Again, fantastic coach. Um, you talk about his assistants again, Dave Jackson. Um, you know, can't you know miss him in terms of how uh, his name has been around in terms of skill development specifically. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I think he needs uh, to get a credit where credits due. Um, and you know, just again, the entire organization, love him or hate him, um, they're a white old machine, and they rightfully deserve the credit that they do get. Yeah, certainly. Oh, by the way, Shane Gersich. Um, Thank you. Is who you were thinking of. Yes. Um, yeah, I was trying to think back. I was like, I've seen a lot of names putting these notes together. So I'm like, uh, well, uh, brain is pretty much fried here. But 39 games yes. for this team last season, uh, 24 conference, as always, nine non-conference, two exhibition games for this team, uh, three conference playoffs and one NCAA tournament appearance game. Uh, exhibition mm-hmm. games, the opening win against Bemidji State, a two to one victory, and then lost two to nothing to the U.S. under 18 team around Christmas time. So um, those are the two exhibition contracts. Contest. Uh, technically finished, technically second out of eight in the NCHC, really tied with Denver uh, in that tiebreaker there. 53 points for them. Seventh out of 59 in the pairwise for a 651 pairwise winning percentage. Overall, 24, 14, and one. A 628 winning percentage to go along with a 729 overall clip at 17, 6, and one in the NCHC. So, a pretty good season for them, uh, all things considered. And kind of interesting, you look at Western Michigan, Denver, North Dakota, Duluth. St. Cloud, all of them cracking the top 10, uh, you know, uh, top 10 or 11 when it comes to uh, their particular seedings uh, for the NCAA tournament last year. Just highly, highly impressive. And Omaha was just outside of that bubble, too. So um, very impressive from uh, the conference last year. 14, 6, and 1 at home at Ralph Engelstead Arena for this team last year. 10 and 5 on the road. 0 and 3 in neutral sites, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And only 1, 3, and 1 in overtime last year. So, uh, as we will allude to here, Nick, in fact, why don't we just jump right into it? This is a team that got worse as the game went along, which is a very weird North Dakota thing to say. Usually the opposite. Yeah. Usually the opposite. Dash eight in scoring in period number three and dash two in overtime, but they were plus 28 combined through the first two periods and plus 18 overall for this team. So mm-hmm. uh, just interesting. Uh, and it's reflected in the shot totals too. Plus 44 and plus 56 in periods one and two, and then minus 25 and minus six in period three and overtime for a plus 69 uh, shooting percentage. So our differential, I should say only plus 1.8 shots more per game for this team. So, mm-hmm. um, and they were not a team, you know, they were 13 and six when they all shot their opponent nine and seven when they were outshot by their opponent, but they were 11 and four in one goal contest, Nick. Yes. So, so they were not out shooting their opponents, but they were finding ways to win hockey games, 13 and three after leading after one 23 and two when leading after period two, flip the script, Nick. One eight and one when trailing after period number one, and oh mm-hmm. eleven and one when trailing after period two. They were ten and three when they were tied after period one, and then mm-hmm. barely even got to a point where they were tied after period number two. So, it's interesting. Um, you know when they scored first, seventeen seven and one. Opponent scores first, dead even at five hundred seven and seven. This is a team that 
did not average that many goals for more per game, did not heavily outshoot their opponents. They essentially finished atop the NCHC, Nick. You talked about Brad Barry. What is that a testament for him as far as a team that statistically didn't have those eye-popping numbers like the team they tied with in the Denver Pioneers? And I think, you know, speaking of eye-popping, they didn't really have that eye-popping offensive threat uh, yeah. in the Ford core, they really didn't have, you know, that, you know, that big weapon up front. I mean, all the attention was paid to Jake Sanderson, rightfully so. Um, one of the best defensemen, if not the best defenseman all in college hockey, um, the cost couple of seasons, just because of what he can do both mm-hmm. um, on the defensive end, uh, as well as in the offensive end. And unfortunately for North Dakota um, was it, you know, played with injuries, especially late in the season. Um, I think North Dakota's fate would have been much different had he been in the lineup, uh, especially turn come tournament time and even in the NCHE tournament I definitely believe that um, he would have been a big difference maker for them but um, in a big reason why we'll get to this why we have got them number one is the the, the reinforcements up front are coming and yeah. uh, very good reinforcements but that's really what it was you know they they kind of had to rely more on structure defensively they they had to be you know a sort of a committee type team and you know for a team that's known for having big names up front Jonathan Taves, Zachary Jordan, Kawaguchi more recently. Um, Shane Gertrude was good a couple of years ago. Uh, thank you for bringing his name, by the way. I can't believe yeah. I'm going to get scolded by North Dakota fans by uh, well, by not remembering him. Well, but, to be fair, they, they're probably angry about something anyway. Let's that's be real. true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, they just they did they did they just lacked that big name or two up front uh, and a big reason why that those numbers speak volumes is that when they were able to get ahead uh, that was it allowed them to play the game that they wanted to play um, when they trailed it just wasn't there just wasn't that one or two guys that you could rely on to kind of get them back you know to to kind of uh, even the playing field per se and that was a big um, I think detriment to also for the NCAA foe um, but this next year I think is going to be different yeah definitely for sure Yeah, certainly interesting. We'll get into obviously all of that. I know a lot of people are wondering why we had Denver at number two. And there's there's some reasons for that. I assure you, I promise we will not leave you hanging. And I promise it's not just because it's our show and we'll do what we want. Um, And, you know, the the other thing, too, is that, uh, you know, beyond that, it's like just because we have them ranked at number one doesn't mean that we don't believe in anybody else. And it also doesn't mean that you can't disagree with us like if you feel like that you or that we're gonna be right yeah exactly (laughs) which doesn't happen very often if you follow the show closely um but that's the thing is like you know if you believe denver is going to be number one next season stick to your guns tell us why you feel it and embrace it and enjoy the hockey season that's what we're here to do too so um penalties per game uh taking almost two penalties less than their opponent last year so that's one of brad barry's thing very disciplined yeah very disciplined team 23.1 percent on the power play 33 talks last season uh penalty kill about the same as denver 78.6 percent last season allowed one less goal at 33 power play goals allowed last year for them so as far as their schedule was concerned, uh, the only teams uh, that they ended up sweeping last season. Think about that, Nick. Um, as far as more than one weekend series, I should say. Um, Colorado College, all six games against them. And yep. then Miami, four. And other than that, um, that was it. Yep. Interesting. Uh, you, don't, when- you, you don't see that from a North Dakota schedule looking back on the previous year often. Yeah. Um, Super. 
super interesting. Western Michigan, three victories against them. Duluth, also three victories against the Bulldogs. St. Cloud twice. Denver uh, twice as well. Bemidji State twice. Niagara twice. Omaha as well with two victories against. And then Minnesota Golden Gophers and Quinnipiac, each a single victory against them. This loss list, uh, looking a little bit bigger, uh, Western Michigan, two losses against them as well as Omaha, Cornell, um, and then single losses to the rest in this group. Duluth, St. Cloud, Bemidji, Minnesota, Quinnipiac, Penn State, uh, the under-18 team, like I mentioned, and then, of course, Notre Dame, who ended up knocking them out in the tournament in the NCAAs. And then only one tie for them last season, which ended up being a shootout win against St. Cloud as well, too. So, um, you know, this was a team that, you know, like we talked about, you know, kind of had that topsy-turvy affair. Again, Cornell was number 14 in the country at that time, um, or ended up in the season there, but they lost both games against Cornell. When they came out of that Christmas break, they just really lost traction. Whatever it was, they really mm -hmm. struggled in the month of late December, January, you know, moving into February, never maybe really found their footing. And then you talked about some injury issues as well, too. So before we get into the players, Nick, as you watch North Dakota go through the season, they didn't have that dominant uptick that we usually see from this team where they become more clutch as the year went on. But mm -hmm. again, they finished tied atop the NCHC. Was there a little bit of resolve and a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of come to Jesus type thing with Bradbury and his group trying to find their identity last season? I think towards the end, I think there was a little bit of look in the mirror and, you know, just sort of uh, admitting who they were as a hockey team, right? They, they, they knew that, you know, there were some holes up front. Um, they knew that, you know, they were going to have to kind of play lock, you know, lock and key defensively um, and be more opportunistic offensively. I think that they did better at that as the season went along and as we got towards tournament time um, and more so, I mean, they're still a fast hockey club. I mean, that's, that's a team that can still outskate just about anybody in the NCAA. I think that they really truly held the form with that. Um, and more so they had to really also protect Zach Driscoll too. Zach Driscoll was, um, I think much better as the season went along. He had some shaky starts, even including St. Cloud Man, an eight to two throttling the Huskies put him on at the Herb Rush National Hockey Center, yeah. um, including the the goal of the season. Dare I say was Yami yeah. Cranola and the the Michigan play, uh, mind you, um, a game a, a play that holy cow uh, went at full speed. Effectively, there wasn't really yeah. a, a stop, pick up, and pull. He kind of took it in stride and 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 made uh and made the the goal happen. Holy cow, that was that was probably a more memorable than my broadcast career. Yeah. Uh, but but getting back uh off off of the tangent train here, sorry about that. Well, I'm trying uh, to think. I was trying to think if Zach Driscoll was still in net. It was the fifth goal of the game, and I don't remember. Uh, Hellstad was the other. Net I minor. believe actually it was Hellstad in net. Now that yeah. you mention it, yes. But maybe I'm wrong. I know. I think it was the fifth goal of the night. So um, I'll definitely try to look at the box score as you continue on there. But by the way, uh, Zach Driscoll um, actually had a better season than I think people gave him credit for. Yes, actually, comparatively to Magnus Krona, almost identical. Uh, eight, uh, uh, 23 games. Excuse me, 34 games played for him. Uh, 22, 11, and one. A two, three, four goals against. A 908 save percentage in just under 2,000 minutes. So right. And as you uh, look for that box score, that was actually the bigger question mark heading for North Dakota at the start of last season was how good could Zach Driscoll be again? Um, former Saint Cloud commit uh, bounced around a little bit, ended up with Bemidji. Um, and then again, as a grad transfer going to North Dakota after losing, was it Peter Tomey? Uh, yeah. uh, to yeah. Yeah, and then Adam Shield was and then Adam Shield to Dallas. Yeah. Yep, for on a pro contract. So that was the focus of North Dakota's, uh, 
you know, preseason ambitions or a conversation as we went into uh, the early parts of the season last year. And, and, and kind of weirdly enough, it was sort of a conversation, but I think what was buried and what really didn't get the attention, I think it really deserved at least outside North Dakota bubble was the, the lack of offense. Um, or at least you said the lack of the star power up front. I mean, we knew they were losing some players here and there. Um, I think another underrated loss for them was Jasper Weatherby going to San Jose on that depth centerpiece and just how good he was at both ends of the rink and more importantly in the faceoff. Jasper Weatherby, to me, was a bigger loss up front than maybe some of the other players. Um, Certainly Kawaguchi, and, and, and I'm not taking anything away with some of their um, a bigger, you know, point getters, but I think Jasper Weatherby just in terms of depth with huge um, as a loss for North Dakota. So um, yeah. did you find it? I did. I, Jacob Helson was actually in for almost 50 minutes of that game. Of course, Zach Dreskel got chased that's in the first right. 11 minutes, three straight goals, three straight goals. Yeah, that's right. Early yep. on in that night. So um, yes, he was chased as far as uh, players who came back the next night, of course, uh, they ended up being St. Cloud the next night there. They did, yes. Uh, Reese Gaber, who was a sophomore, paced the team in points. Uh, 37 points for him, 15 goals, 22 assists. Uh, just over a point-per-game clip, seven power play goals for him last season. He was uh, money on the power play. And a plus-eight rating. Everybody in this list has a plus category. Uh, Connor Ford, up front, a senior last season. Uh, 37 games for him, 28 points, a .76 point-per-game clip, plus-two on the season. Jake Schmaltz, freshman last year. Uh, played in every single contest, 24 points for him, uh, a plus seven rating to go along with three power play tucks. Ashton Calder, who is now headed to Penn State for his graduate uh, transfer year, uh, 34 games for him, 21 points, uh, two power play goals, plus three, as well as um, Matteo Constantini, who was a freshman last year. Mateo, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. same same number of points with 21, uh, but has a plus 12 rating last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only defenseman um, that I picked – because he was so good. Uh, some guy named Jake Sanderson, um, mm-hmm. sophomore last season, uh, 1.13 point per game clip over 23 games, had 26 total points and a plus five rating. Nick, if he had played every game for North Dakota last season, his pace would have been a 44 point pace. Uh, oh, average. Right? Pretty darn impressive. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, this group uh, is bringing a lot of players back. Um, of course, mm-hmm. Uh, graduating players, like you mentioned, Zach Driscoll uh, signed with Toledo in the ECHL. Uh, Connor Ford uh, is headed to the Vegas the Golden Knights. Vegas, yep. Yeah, the Henderson uh, Silver Knights. Uh, other players out, Ashton Calder, like we mentioned, Penn State. Jake Sanderson signing with the Ottawa Senators Ottawa. at the end of last season. Uh, Brendan Buddy uh, headed to RPI. And goaltender Harrison Feeney, who would be a senior this season, is headed to Sweden uh, playing overseas. Players coming in, though, uh, Ryan Sidorski, a graduate transfer from Union, uh, Ty Farmer, also a grad transfer from UMass on the back end defenseman who was yep. very integral. I think a couple of years ago, St. Cloud State fans might know him very well. Yeah, he had a heck of a run, uh, was very instrumental in their national championship run, especially in Pittsburgh. No question about it. Yeah, certainly. Uh, goaltending was an issue addressed with Drew DeRitter uh, from Michigan State for his fifth season. And then Mark Sendon and Gavin Hain, as well as Chris Jandrick, are all staying for their graduate years. Chris mm-hmm. Jandrick still on the list was not announced for the, uh, um, along with Sendon and Gavin Hain, as far as players that were staying in the news release. Um, and he was listed as a fifth year player last year, but is on the roster as far as the roster was just updated about a week ago by them. So I'm going to assume it's current. And my guess being is COVID that. COVID year. COVID year that they lost at Fairbanks. Um, the Nanooks did yep. not play a single season. So I'm wondering if he has extra eligibility. So uh, Nick, 
this team last year, um, production wise, obviously pretty decent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is there any comments you want to have about guys moving, guys coming in, anything like that? Certainly, uh, Drew DeRidder, I think, was maybe the big story goaltending wise early yep. to start off the summer for this team. Huge. Um, they needed to find some type of veteran uh, presence in net. They get it with uh, DeRidder coming over, like you mentioned, from Michigan State. Um, but I, I think, you know, I'm going to derail this conversation a slight bit, but uh, Mark Sending coming back for a second year captain. Uh, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, good kid, good player. Um, he'll, he'll be a good, uh, voice and leader for that locker room. And then, uh, uh, Gavin Hain. Yep. A good solid, uh, back, you know, a defenseman, right? Forward. He's a forward. Who yeah. am I thinking of? Remember Gavin Hain had that big goal against Denver a That's couple right. years ago in the NCHC playoffs. Was it Denver or Omaha? I can't, I think it was Denver. I can't remember, um, where he went like Far side, glove side high, just an absolute snipe. And as you mentioned, Mark Sendon, of course, uh, was named the captain again this season. Uh, Ethan Fritch, um, Gavin Hain, Judd Caulfield, and Reese Gaber will also wear the alternate. Alternates, um, yep. yeah. And Ethan Frisch was the next, next most productive defenseman on the team with 15 points last season. So that's probably, I think, what I think it was Ethan Fritch. Yeah, he was, uh, uh, he can be uh, lights out, especially in high pressure situations. He seems to have a knack for that. Uh, Ethan Fritch in the back end there. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's a good core. Um, but uh, as we will allude to here shortly, Noah, it's going to be the mixture. And a big reason why we yeah. like this team is the mixture of a solid veteran presence, um, which should be solid goaltending. Um, maybe not star power type, but enough, right? So yeah. as, as the Colorado Avalanche looks, you don't necessarily need to have a goaltender steals you game, but just enough. But that mixture of uh, young talent, again, Reese Gaber coming back is huge. Uh, but this this core coming in, dare I say, yikes. Yeah. Um, holy cow. And it's Get one of the one of the smallest freshman crews actually coming in in the NCHC this season. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, high praise. All of them, except for Caleb Johnson, who's a redshirt freshman, um, you know, coming back here, uh, all are draft picks in the National Hockey League. And one of the things that's interesting, like you mentioned, about why we picked this team number one overall, again, Denver just lost so much last season when it mm -hmm. came to their high-end power. And North Dakota certainly, I mean, the loss of Ashton Calder is really going to hurt. I mean, he was uh, the fifth most productive forward on this team last year, or fourth most productive, whatever it was. And... You know, but the other guys, like you mentioned, your Gavin Haynes, your Mark Sennons, all these guys that are coming back, some of the freshmen and sophomores last season who had really good years last year. Um, you know, that's the reason we really like this team is that core that's coming back is really good. The additions with the transfer portal are certainly going to help them. And this freshman crew, oh my gosh, so good. So Yikes. Uh, uh, six, yeah. six graduate players this season for them. Yes. Uh, three seniors, five juniors, eight sophomores, five freshmen, um, if you count the redshirt freshmen for a crew of 27, uh, four forwards, and then that netminder in, as far as the freshman group. So we actually get to talk about these guys quite a bit. Um, let's start with the goaltender. Let's start with Caleb Johnson, who was the redshirt 2001 from Grand Forks last year, uh, 5'11", 182. Um, I did chuckle at this, uh, Caleb, we love you, but, uh, um, and we're talking about Caleb Johnson this time, uh, posted a staggering 37, one and two record for Grand Forks Central over his high school career to help the Knights capture back-to-back -back state titles. For those of you who know North Dakota hockey and not taking any away, anything away from Grand Forks Central, um, those East teams, especially Central and Red River are just absolutely loaded. Uh, a lot of times they kind of run away with, uh, 
the tables a little bit, not taking anything away from him, but I'm guessing the team in front of him was probably pretty good. Um, but nonetheless, yeah. I mean, did what he had to do. Uh, spent the last three years uh, with the Minnesota Wilderness before coming to North Dakota last year. 77 games for them, 32, 37, and 5. Uh, 278 goals against, 13 wins, and a 9-10 save percentage. So uh, goaltending wise here, you know, you have Drew DeRitter for a year, but if you're a guy like Caleb Johnson and you look at the net mining group here, uh, you know, what is the goal for Bradbury and these coaches getting some of the paying attention to what's going to be the future in net for this team? Well, again, I think, you know, you mentioned it right off the bat is, you know, I think there's no question it's DeRitter's net, but if you're looking at Caleb Johnson, I mean, look what happened last year uh, with some games that maybe got out of hand with North Dakota. Um, some you know, you're going to be called on and, and dare I say it, injuries happen too, even with goaltenders. So you need a capable backup and, you know, for St. Cloud for as much flack as, you know, and not as much last season, but with David Rennick really taking a step in, in his development, you know, uh, we were, you know, we were spoiled yeah. with the backup situation that we had and, and granted it, you know, during the playoffs, you know, that, uh, uh, for, for Jackson Castor, he got, uh, uh, I think a lot of undeserved flack. That's a tough mm-hmm. situation for a goaltender, but it shows the importance of how ready you have to be as the next man up, especially in the goaltending realms, because it could be that exact situation. You need someone like in North Dakota, like a Caleb Johnson to come in. Um, sometimes when it's not a name that's called upon, uh, as being the starter, um, either in middle of game or a, dare I say a playoff situation, you have to be mm-hmm. able to come in, feel confident and be able to play a very good hockey. Uh, sometimes again, when it's the most unopportune situation. So it's important for him to be able to develop, to learn from DeRitter, um, and to maybe even dare I say challenge for it again. And especially, um, they talked about it in our in our Husky goaltending situation, Noah, and that is they all three push each other. They all three support each other because you just never know what could happen. Uh, he's going to have to take that same approach uh, and to know that, hey, maybe he steals the net. Maybe he maybe he wins the job in training camp. Uh, that's what you want is you want some goaltender competition because it's always going to be the best man that's between the pipes and especially in a tough conference with a very, very good top four, possibly top five maybe dare I say top six with Colorado college. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I can't count them out this year. I think again, I go yeah. back to it. They're going to surprise people. Um, that's going to be an important job here for North Dakota to try to stay atop of the NCHC. Yeah. Well, speaking of top end, how about the forward group here? The four Yikes. freshman forwards. Jeez. Are these guys? Yikes. Holy yeah. smokes. And that's the thing we talked about it um, with uh uh, Cole Spicer decommitting from North Dakota. You could tell maybe how good this freshman group was going to be if he doesn't make the mm-hmm. cut. Of course, being scooped up by the University of Minnesota Duluth. But uh, forward side, Jackson Blake, the Eden Prairie native, uh, 5'11", 165, uh, right-handed, 2003. You have three 2003s and then one 2002. So a couple of young guys, too. You know, they're not exactly hitting their year where they're supposed to be coming in necessarily, but they're just that ready. Uh, last season, Chicago Steel in the USHL, 27 goals, 50 assists, Boy. 77 points in 61 games. The USHL point total most by an incoming University of North Dakota player in over two decades. Uh, USHL third team all-star selection at a 2021 fourth round selection by the Carolina Hurricanes at 109 overall. Uh, is that good? Well, Yes. And uh, dare I say he has some help with some bloodlines, right? Uh, Jason Blake. We all know Jason Blake, uh, former NHLer. Uh, so I guess the question is, can Jackson do a spin around on the shootout? <laughs> I mean, uh, it wouldn't be legal, but I mean, you could do it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this, this 
commitment has been lauded for more than just this offseason. Um, yeah. His talent has been uh, going all the way back to when he was uh, playing in high school uh, with Eden Prairie, of all places. Again, you talk about, um, you know, programs that have a history of uh, development and producing uh, not only uh, college-ready um, NH- uh, players, but also potential NHL talent. The Eden Prairie Eagles, again, West. Uh, suburb of Minneapolis, uh, no stranger to that. Uh, right. The North Dakota probably would have wanted them last year. Um, honestly, mm-hmm. they, it would have been great, but uh, they get them this year. And uh, dare I say, um, small, as we mentioned, in terms of a class size, but my goodness, no shortage of talent, if not uh, the best talent that we see coming in terms of raw skill uh, in the NCC. And Jackson Blake heads that uh, class. And again, with uh, his dad being a uh, former NHL player himself, and I think also somewhere either a scout or in the development role, if I recall, or um, a coaching somewhere, he's uh, got a good uh, person to talk uh, with after games and to yeah. continue to improve uh, beyond the walls of North Dakota. Certainly. We'll wear number nine next season. Number 21, Ben Strinden, who comes in from Fargo, North Dakota. 6'1", 196, right-handed shot. Good size for the 2002 forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two seasons with Muskegon in the USHL. Uh, 25 goals, 31 assists, 56 points in 61 contests last season. Um, And then also added uh, three goals, four assists, seven points in nine postseason games as well, too. Yikes. Uh, assistant captain last season and was a seventh round selection this past year by Nashville at 210 overall. So someone that comes in with a little bit of size here, Nick. Yep. And I think that's one thing that North Dakota wants to get back a little bit is, is the size factor. Um, You know, I mentioned Jasper Weatherby um, as that center and just how good he was. Part of what made him so good was he utilized his size for puck protection so well. I think he was either six, two or six, three, um, has been really good uh, going uh, into his broker with San Jose. Um, and I think this is sort of that same look as what North Dakota wants is a guy that has that skill along with that size. He's going to be a big part of that. And we'll have to, again, assimilate quickly again, USHL, very good to get players ready for the NCAA division one level. So he should be good. But again, you mentioned that added size, North Dakota, definitely looking to try to continue um, that next mold and uh, he should fit that very well. Certainly. Number 22, Owen McLaughlin, uh, Spring City, Pennsylvania native, six foot oh, 156, uh, left-handed 2003, a little bit undersized as far as the build, maybe in terms of just yes. trying to bulk up a little bit. But here's the thing, Nick, uh, played on a line with uh, the ne- next guy on this list, Dylan James uh, at Sioux City, um, 28 goals, 44 assists, 72 points in 62 games, certainly can produce, uh, had five assists in 10 playoff appearances. So we talked about how good Jackson Blake was last season. Um, Owen is only the third incoming North Dakota player in the last two decades to register over 70 points in the USHL in a season. Uh, One of the other ones, Jackson Blake, that we just talked about. So you talk about how good this incoming freshman class really is. Also a seventh round selection, 206 overall by the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, I feel bad for you, Owen, Chuck Fletcher. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, But anyway, uh, certainly can put the puck in the net. Um, and uh, it will be a very welcome addition to this North Dakota club. This one is, a, I think, more the curious cases um, that we're going to see with North Dakota because, again, that's that, uh, share I say, dare I say, the, that stature may be a problem for his assimilation to NCAA Division I. Uh, mm-hmm. That under 160, you know, granted, that there could be some gamesmanship happening for us with North Dakota, yeah. uh, you know, on the website. Because, uh, you know, what? It's different, right? Because Cole Caulfield, and I'm bringing him into the mix because, you know, we all thought that his size maybe, but he was still drafted in the first round. 
Um, it, this is a seventh round pick, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so not taking anything away from his skill set. He's a very talented player again, over 70 uh, points in the USHL. That's that's you know, you earn those. You don't just get those by accident. Yeah. Uh, but you kind of wonder that, especially with the size and not necessarily the height, but more the weight. Um, NCHC is heavy hockey. Uh, and you kind of wonder uh, what that transition is going to look like for him. Now, obviously, there's skill set there, and uh, there's no questioning or doubting his skill set. But you kind of wonder, um, with the lack of size, um, does that hurt his development a little bit, or does that hurt maybe him and the ability to use his skill set in a way? Or uh, maybe does Brad Berry have a trick up his sleeve where he pairs him maybe with some bigger players, and he is sort of you know that F two F three that uh, is going to find open space and you know just has a, a cannon of a shot. We'll have to see, but uh, that one we'll have to watch and see on how his development goes because I think that one has a little bit more uh, flexibility with how he can translate, especially in his first year from USHL to uh, NCAA Division One. Yeah, certainly 19 years of age. And the other thing that you kind of wonder, though, is that, you know, is he someone that, yeah, he might be undersized or maybe he's just someone who was actually a very nimble skater, um, but Mm -hmm. just has a couple more inches of height onto him. And maybe his game is someone who is maybe more akin to someone who kind of floats between the seams and is able to find those quiet areas of the ice, too. So you kind of wonder, I mean, obviously, 72 points in 62 games is very good, but there's something that North Dakota sees here that goes beyond you know, the height and weight too. So, right. Well, and six foot, I mean, the frame is there, right? Yep. So the, 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 for him to be able to build um, onto his frame, he, he obviously hasn't grown into it yet. There's no question that this is a very temporary sort of, I don't know if you want to call it a concern, but a temporary sort of, you know, thing that you can be addressed. And granted, yeah. you know, that weight figure, as we mentioned before, may not be the most accurate. There could be some, like I said, it's maybe some gamesmanship happening. And, and it may, uh, and it may be a, a note that they have for the middle of the summer and He's been training with you know, guys at North Dakota and right. he's going to put on 15 pounds, you know, and like, what's to say it is accurate. He's going to probably put on 15 to maybe 20 pounds, you know, over the next 12 months. And so you take 156, he's already now up to 180. Um, it's probably a non-factor by the, you know, even maybe the middle of the season. So um, like you said, enough talent is there. North Dakota likes what they see. So uh, probably a small factor at the end of the day, but uh, still something, something to watch. So you said six foot zero, 180, huh? By the end of next year. Well, let me tell you something, Nick. Uh, the 2003 Dylan James from Calgary, Alberta, he's a six foot zero, 180. Um, How about that? <laughs> and, uh, look at that. Uh, spent last season with Sioux City as well. Of course, teammates last year. Uh, the Clark Cup champions last year, by the way, in case yes. I was remiss to mention that. 61 points, 28 goals, 33 apples, and 62 contests with the team last season. Uh, USHL's Rookie of the Year. Uh, and the league's oh, all-rookie team, obviously. Uh, first rookie to eclipse the 60-point mark in USHL play in over six years and became the first UND commit to win Rookie of the Year award since Brandon Bochensky back in 2001. Oh. How about that? Yeah, Brandon Bochensky, you mean the long-lost uh, linemate of Zach Parisi? Yeah, what about, yeah, how how about, about that, that, huh? Uh, five goals, three assists, and 10 playoff contests is a second-round selection at number 40 by who else? Stevie Y and the Detroit Red Wings. So... So, uh, yeah, you talk about um, respect, you know, when you're drafted second round 40th overall, uh, my goodness. Uh, and again, AJHL product, Octoc Oilers, huh? Yeah. Uh, we talked about this in the last couple of episodes of how they are somehow developing some really top end offensive uh, talent. And uh, this guy uh, is another one of those, uh, you know, holy cow. So um, here's one thing that um, I want to point out is, his listed major is kinesiology. 
Yeah. That's scary because we, we we talk about height, we talk about weight, we talk about skill. The one thing that we maybe don't talk enough about is the hockey IQ part of it. Uh, my guess is if you're majoring in kinesiology, you're probably a smart dude, which means you're probably your hockey IQ. And a big reason I know with Stevie why he drafts players that have high hockey IQs. There's no question about that. This is a guy I'm going to be watching just as closely as Jackson Blake, not just maybe because of his raw skill, but just maybe how he sees the ice, how he plays in certain situations. Just the overall hockey intelligence is going to be high with this young player. No question. He was drafted sec- uh, in the second round. Big part of that. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, the piece that's kind of interesting, too, with kinesiology is you also are someone who has a really good understanding of how your body works and able yep. to, um, you know, uh, manipulate those mechanics, uh, so to speak. By the way, other majors, Owen McLaughlin and Ben Stratton will both be investment majors in Jackson Blake as general studies, as is Caleb Johnson. So, well, talk about a couple of so really good hockey studies, basically. Yeah. So ta- <laughs> we'll Nothing talk- wrong with that. I'll we'll tell you ta- that. We'll talk about some really good investments, so to speak, by the North Dakota Fighting Hawks mm-hmm. as they yes. get ready for next season uh of course october 1st exhibition came good to see manitoba back on the docket for them again you know it was kind of yep. with the covid uh pieces a couple of years ago uh october 7th and 8th versus holy cross they've had a couple of good games in that building at ralph Engelstead. uh october 15th and 16th versus quinnipiac um and i don't know who wrote this schedule for north dakota nick but this is probably the best schedule that i have seen in the ncac by the way so they're at home for their first five games then they travel well, October 21st rough. and 22nd to Minnesota. Um, that's at- great. That's homecoming, I believe, for the Gophers, if I recall correctly, too. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun um, for that. And then uh, October 29th versus Arizona State. They're in Vegas at the Hockey Hall of Fame game. Yes, awesome. In Vegas, too. That's that's going to be killer. And, and, and though we give them crap, too, honestly, but... How great would it, you know, how great that, you know, the the Hawks fans travel to see um, that many college hockey fans. Uh, There's no question. They've traveled to Nashville uh, in droves. Uh, We saw them out in Pittsburgh when the team wasn't even there. Um, And they'll travel to Vegas as well. And I think that that's the thing is everyone goes, oh, why are they always in the Hockey Hall of Fame game? Why are they always in this? Well, that's precisely the reason. That's exactly the reason. One, they're a good hockey team. And two, you know, you're going to get a good good crowd. So an AFU should bring a pretty good boat, too, I think. Yes. Uh, just down the road by about four and a half, five hours or so. Yeah. November 4th and 5th, uh, they travel to Omaha before coming home the next weekend against Denver and then at home again versus Miami. Then they're in Bemidji and then at home November 25th and 26th, Friday, Saturday for them. Traveling to St. Cloud December 2nd and 3rd and then traveling to Western Michigan to round out the first half of their schedule. Second half, the U.S. under-18 team visits on December 31st. Then the 6th and 7th, they're at home against Lindenwood before the following weekend at home again. Uh, versus Western Michigan, and then they're at home again versus the Duluth mm-hmm. Bulldogs. Um, then they travel to Miami and then have a week off before traveling to Denver, then at home against St. Cloud, traveling to Colorado College, and finishing at home against Omaha. That's actually a pretty good schedule that's very mm-hmm. nicely spaced out, a lot of really good home stretches, not too bad in the road swing of things too. So I think North Dakota certainly has a very favorable schedule as they head in. Only fan question we got here for um, this team, by the way, Nick. Oh, geez, Um, you don't say. We didn't have like a pile in the mailbag today? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, It is what it is. I hope he gets up next week for St. Cloud, one would hope. Um, But but anyway, maybe people just don't like North Dakota. It's fine. Um, So Derek Felsky, of course, asks, uh, could the Fighting Hawks be an elite college hockey program without recruiting Minnesota-born players? Um, Uh, my, My initial answer would be, number one, they have a lot of North Dakota players, and number two, 
they have True. some Minnesota players on there that are very good, like Jackson Blake. Yeah. Well, he so, said he said without recruiting them, could they still uh, be good? Yes, <laughs> I would. I would think so. I mean, what, here's the here's the thing. Like Nick, if uh, and this is no offense to St. Cloud fans, but if you walk into the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center and then you walk into Ralph Engelson Arena, where where are you going? And, and that was your only recruiting you know, yeah, tool, right? You Without know talking I mean? like, to any coaches or anything. Yeah. If you're basing off the arena, come on. It's good. Yeah. It's nice. you know, well, let's say this. Let's, let's actually approach Derek's question. Derek's question is flawed for two reasons. That means you're only assuming that the best players that are available are yeah. coming out of Minnesota. If there's one thing we started to notice, and this is great for the game of hockey, is that there are other states and there are other developmental avenues i mean austin matthews and logan cooley have come out of phoenix arizona well you mentioned the Holy ajhl cow. too uh, you know AJHL. How, how many players are coming from canada now and yeah playing, so know? what's there's two things that are happening one um the coaching staffs are finding other avenues um because again everybody knows in fact was a john butchergrass uh you know uh, all but one program in college hockey has someone from minnesota on it yeah. So let's say this. I mean, you're you're you have 57 boats um, on the same water recruiting, right? So it's already a saturated um, recruiting zone. We all know that, right? So you have to. The the end of the day is you have to find other avenues to recruit top end players. Um, so if you didn't, you still would be a good program because you have the history, you have the coaching staff, you have already good talent on your roster. Um, so you have essentially a form that attracts players from out of state. Right. Um, and dare I say uh, to their, probably what would be their biggest rival starting next season. Um, how about the Gophers and Holy hell, their recruiting class and a lot of yeah. their players are coming, not from the state of Minnesota. Yes. A few, um, but their hometowns are from Pennsylvania, from outside of Minnesota. I mean, come on. So um, you have to be able to find those diamonds in the rough and that's kudos to the program that you've built the legacy and you know the the different players that you have that are the word of mouth right i, I think you would you would know this better than i do noah and that is yeah. when you're a when you're a player on a team and you get recruited into a very high profile program right yes the player itself um is going to do their own due diligence but a lot of the times what often sells a, a player on a program is you know, they're reaching out to some of the players that are already on that program yep. and they're getting, you know, their own feedback from it is, yeah, uh, this team's already really good, but now I'm also, I'm a fairly talented young guy. Um, I yeah. want to go win a national championship. Um, I want to go here. Am I not onto something there? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's interesting, Nick, I was just counting. Um, and let me see if my math is correct here. Um, it probably isn't because I'm trying to do this very quickly. Um, yeah. I believe... I, there are six guys on this North Dakota roster from North Dakota, and it's five, maybe six, if I missed one, from Minnesota. That's it. So, you know, there's your answer right there. A lot of guys uh, coming um, from out east, too, Ontario, New York, um, guys coming from Alberta, British Columbia as well, a guy from Missouri, um, Texas, Manitoba. I mean, you have more Canadians than North Dakotans or Minnesotans, first of all. Um you know, so it, I think kind of you kind of answering your own question a little bit, um, a little bit. And let's actually have a graphic pulled up from Bucci Grass when he said that. So, yes, um, 58 of 64 
uh, Minnesota Anchorage played high school hockey, number one. So, and then in the NCAA ranks, uh, you have 40, sorry, 49 and 59 NCAA uh, Division One men's teams have at least one Minnesota player on it. That's nuts. Yeah. So it goes to say that, again, everybody's trying to pull the town from here, which means you have to look outside. You mentioned the Canadians out east and, you know, uh, was it, it behind Minnesota? Is it Michigan, I believe, is the is the number two yeah, in terms it's like, of state? It's like, it's like Michigan and then Massachusetts, I think. Is yes. The, yeah. yes. And so you, you, and you have to be able to get creative because, mm-hmm. and, and again, you have to know that, the best talent ever, you know, there's going to be the bigger programs pushing for it. Um, so you have to do it. So there's yeah. your answer, Derek. There's your answer. Uh, this next one kind of made me laugh too. Uh, is Bradbury on the hot seat in Grand Forks? Uh, how do you hell would be? Yeah. How do you, how do you tie for first in the NCHC and bring this team to a national championship? Also winning in- coach of the year award more yeah. than once. He's the only coach actually to ever win it more than once in, in the NCHC history. So, so for those playing the home game, uh, no, um, yeah. last, last one, <laughs> last one. Um, I, I like this one though. Does Grand Forks have anything as good as Val's or house of pizza? Well, it depends on house of pizza. I think a lot of people kind of depend on that, but I so will supposedly you go first. I have, I have a couple of tidbits on that. Yeah. Too. I would say, um, I would say in terms of like something, I mean, House of Pizza and Val's makes me think of something a little bit more greasier, a little bit more kind of like with character like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, I would say maybe like Italian Moon. I know a lot of people um, you know, are kind of hit or miss on that one, but I think that one has some character as far as it's kind of like, I don't know, like the North Dakota version of a pizza pizza ranch with a little bit of flair kind of thing. Um, but like it's its own unique little homemade like Applebee's kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as uh, places to go, and technically this is not in Grand Forks. Technically, it's actually East Grand, but the Blue Moose. I mean, yes, I've, I mean, the Blue Moose said Ben. That's yeah. Good. I mean, you can't. How do you discount that? I mean, it's just there was another there was another place. Um, and I'm trying to remember it was a wing place and it had kind of like a, uh, Sarah said like a, like an Island vibe to it. It was South Parakeys, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That has really rock solid dry rub wings. Apparently that's a big thing in grand forks is the, is the wing sing. Um, yeah. someone please correct me. I'm probably terribly wrong, but, um, I remember stopping into parrots K and had some, I think some Jamaican dry rooms and they were freaking fantastic. Uh, yeah. So I remember that they used to have that green mill. I don't know if it's still there. They had one for the longest time in Grand Forks. That was kind of a hot spot. I know for people too, but I mean, there's a lot of good places in Grand Forks. Grand Forks is definitely a college town. It's definitely a bit of a party 100%. town. Um, so you can find some really good eerie places. So is there anything as good as Val's? Val's is pretty good. I mean, Val's is its own. As far as a burger joint that yeah. isn't a chain. I don't think so. I don't know that you beat it in Grand Forks, but as far as things better than House of Pizza, I think you have a lot of options, um, unfortunately, for those who like House of Pizza. Although Boulder Tap yes. House in St. Cloud would be another one that I would say is very underrated. Um, it's not a uh, local thing per se, but Boulder Tap House, I think is really good. Um, if you're ever mm-hmm. in the St. Cloud area as well, too. A lot of good places uh, actually in the Granite City as well, too. But Nick, um, let's kind of talk about this a little bit before we get into our final questions here. Yeah. Um why did we pick this team at number one here? And more specifically, why did Noah Grant convince Nick Maxson to pick this team at number one? Because again, you were kind of a little bit more like, hey, there's an argument to be made for Denver. And you're not wrong. Denver, very good team. In my eyes, I think Denver lost a little bit more than North Dakota. That core coming back is pretty good. This freshman group is hard to deny. And I think uh, for the Fighting Hawks, as long as the goaltending can match a guy like Magnus Krona out there in Denver, I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, agreed again we we went back and forth on this one uh, yeah. quite a bit and it, as, as we said this before it's not like we're we don't look at this as a one two almost like a one a one b 
um honestly yeah. the top of the nco there's one one a six a you know like. right exactly <laughs> um but yeah it, it's that mixture of young really high-end offensive talent that they haven't had especially last season right um yeah. and you could argue even the last two um goaltending again you have a veteran presence coming in from michigan state um, you're not going to have as explosive on the back end, but I think what that's going to make North Dakota do is be a little bit, dare I say, more responsible in the defensive end and maybe not quite as uh, run amok. Um, the yeah. one thing that I think it's going to allow them to do as well is uh, let's go back to Tyler Clevin. I think Tyler Clevin actually has a little bit more of the same skill set as um, Jake Sanderson does and people think. Um, I think that they sort of because they because they paired them together for a while didn't they yeah um, and the big knock on um clevin that of course the one that i had last year he was highly penalized last season yes you know um a little bit and just because i think they wanted jake sanderson to feel that he could be himself i think mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot more offense from tyler clevin this year um to kind of be i mean he's not going to be the same caliber but i think uh, he's going to surprise some people with some of the offensive drive or the way that he'll i think carry the puck into the zone uh, the way he'll walk the blue and i think he's going to be a little bit more unleashed offensively um because i think that's going to be the one area that they're going to want to try to replace is that offense from the blue line if there's one small thing you can knock North Dakota on as far as what they are going to have a hard time replacing. It's going to be offense from the blue line. And again, from Brad Berry's system, um, a lot of times that fourth, if not that fifth defenseman, they were high in on the four check. I mean, they were not up on the blue and they were at top of the circle. Sometimes dare I say the hash marks really suffocating big part of their offensive four check. So you're, that's going to be their biggest snack. But as far as talent coming concerns, yeah. Um, this this mixture of full, uh, a veteran and young talent coming back together with solid yeah. goaltending is a big reason why we have them at number one. Yeah, certainly. So speaking of facing the number ones, if you're North Dakota, how the heck do you stay atop the NCHC standings? And if you're St. Cloud State, of course, St. Cloud matching up December 2nd and 3rd um, in St. Cloud and then traveling uh, back home February 17th and 18th to Grand Forks Mid-January, to face the Huskies. Yeah. How February, um, February, sorry. Yeah. Um, months, you know, uh, yeah, right. how in the world it's cold uh, either way, how in the world are the Hus- how in the world are the Huskies really, uh, especially vindicate their demons, uh, in grand forks a little bit. That's tough because by then Bradbury, if, if this team gels together, like we think they will, that's going to be a tough task at hand. There's no question about it. Um, I think if anything, you try to test a little bit, um, of North Dakota by trying to play below the goal lines. If anything, mm-hmm. um, there's still some size there, um, but this is where like a Mike and Miller returning for St. Cloud really can help you. And I think if anything, if you can try to maybe exploit some of that undersize, uh, what we think is going to be some uh, some guys undersized in North Dakota's uh, forward group, and then trying to exploit what could be some not as much mobility, um, from their back end, I think that's how you do it, but you do it by grinding them out. Um, I, I just think that's how you, do, you kind of beat them on the boards, especially below the goal line. I, and for North Dakota, I think how you counter that is, you know, a assimilate the young guns and the veterans as quickly as you can. And number two, try to again, um, rely on that speed and that transition game is going to be really important. I, I think again, with Jake Sanderson, uh, not being there, you don't have that one defenseman who can essentially grab the puck and just wheel it and skate it out himself. You're going to have to have forwards supporting D. Um, and, and again, quick five foot passes. You're going to have to have everybody involved in for quick transitions in and out. 
um, especially and then and don't be afraid to to go dump the puck and go get it again. I know North Dakota likes to carry possession in on, on the forecheck if they can. I know they like that possession game and to carry puck in on the rush, but you may not have that right away. Um, but you may be able to develop that later in the season. But early on, uh, don't be afraid to dump it in and and get bodies to the puck and be the first one on touches. I think if you're North Dakota too, one of the things they do really well and have done historically is when they do enter the zone with possession, they do it in layers, right? They're willing yes, to threaten the, the middle. Yep. They're really like not afraid to threaten the middle of the ice and create some sort of crossing pattern where the initial puck carrier is able to shoot the puck or he's dropping it to the player who's behind ready for a drop pass, like really good in terms of filtering plays towards the middle of the ice in the offensive zone. And that's what makes them so dangerous. They're a really mm-hmm. good attack on the rush team. As much as you talked about establishing that four check, a lot of times, like you mentioned, their first goal is to essentially carry the puck in and they, and when they do yes. it well, it's a very effective, uh, uh, tool that um, we had talked about too, you know, and you talk about layers, right? And and one of the things that for the young, like higher skilled, highly touted is it's the patience to create those layers, yeah. right? And that is not to uh, essentially come in as a as a one line across the blue line. It's you know again that center lane drive, and then maybe a little bit of delay for that person on the wing side carrying that puck, and then funneling in not only that third forward, but that's is where Jake Sanderson really made his money. Is then almost that fourth guy coming in to kind of clean up where you have two guys coming down that center lane. You know they're gonna draw attention themselves, but that fourth uh, that fourth guy coming in the zone. Oftentimes it was Sanderson or Clevin. Um, they're the guys that actually had the wide open and then you're going to have a good 10 feet to skate in too so it's that patience also on the rush to develop those lanes and those passing lanes as well yeah that's kind of a characteristic and of course i had a good conversation with david hoff who of course is the head coach of the u.s sled hockey team and knows brad barry very well and the real emphasis a couple of years ago on running that what is called a flat drop pass where you essentially you're isolating one side of the ice and you're waiting for that weak side defenseman or the trailing forward i guess if you're f3 uh to kind of be an available option as second flow essentially on the weak mm-hmm. side so that's something that north dakota does very very well with their zone entries and really not a team that's they're not afraid to spread the game out east west i know yes. as much as we want to talk about how teams you want to go north south that's the main goal they're not afraid to spread the rink out in all directions so i think that's very impressive for them if you're saying cloud like you mentioned uh pucks in deep i think just getting this team to turn their feet you know keeping them on their heels uh even mm-hmm. if you have to dump pucks in are you forcing them to turn their feet something that Duluth a couple of years ago on that five OT game before Nerd, um, um, before they ended up getting the job done did really well as forcing defenders to turn their feet um, mm-hmm. and try to alleviate pressure a little bit. And I think uh, one of the big crutches for St. Cloud, especially in Grand Forks, is they allow the middle to be open way too easily. Be mm-hmm. comfortable letting this team play on the perimeter. Let them do what they want outside the dots, below the goal lines, you know, on the perimeter towards the blue line. Let them do that. Just do not give them a chance in the middle of the ice because they like to run bumper plays when they've established zone time, where they're kicking a play to the middle of a sudden, boom, it's a quick strike opportunity or a rebound that's juicy that someone's going to pot home. So, yeah. And, and to just build on that a little bit, when uh, I was calling um, in the essentially the spotlight well for KVSC radio yeah. a couple of years back, uh, finals are Jack and Nick Paling, uh, you know, one goal losses for the most part. And a big part of that was North Dakota's forecheck was suffocating. But again, it, it, and where North Dakota gets you is they almost get you to almost panic. 
um, mm-hmm. in your structure, right? Where it's okay. Yep. We're on the perimeter and yes, they can play that low to high game and they've got some talented defensemen and they did at that point to get pucks through. We're talking Jacob Bernard Docker at the time too, was really good at doing that. Um, but like you said, feel comfortable almost be like the Minnesota wild of 2003, where as long as you're protecting the middle of the ice and you allow them, uh, if anything, you know, get in the shooting lanes, you know, get blocks in there, but don't go chasing them. Cause once you do that, Again, that opens up that east-west lanes in the middle of the ice and especially in the slots, and that's where they capitalize is when you go chasing too much in your defensive zone and get out of your structure. Certainly agree. Of course, uh, wishing North Dakota the best of luck in their NCAC endeavors, except, of course, against our St. Cloud State Huskies, who will be the next ones on the docket as we get ready for a Sunday release next weekend. Our final NCAC preview, already crazy. It's gone fast, certainly. So um, with that being said, we are also going to wrap up the Women's World Championships here in our Extra Ice Session. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session, episode 128. Nick Maxson, along with myself, Noah Grant here. Nick, a quick little recap here. The Women's World Championships wrapping up. We were excited for the medal round in the final couple days here. Uh, Current and former St. Louis State players, like we mentioned, Yanina Newland for Finland. Uh, Mm -hmm. Seven games for her, her, no points, and a minus six rating. The Finns did not have the best tournament, unfortunately. No, they did not. Um, Laura Zimmerman, um, the Swiss forward, uh, four games for her, two points and a dash one rating, had two assists. I don't think she played um, in the last couple of games, so I don't know if she fell out of favor a little bit towards the end of the tournament, but um, certainly something to keep an eye on. Laura Kluga for Germany had four points in four games, was minus one. Pretty good little tournament for her. Mm -hmm. And then Clara Himmlerova finishing 25th in tournament scoring, uh, five points in seven games, four goals with an apple as well, a plus two rating, um, and a 23.53 shooting percentage for her. So pretty good little tournament um, for her, all things considered. For those of you who missed it, uh, when we last left off, we were getting ready essentially for uh, the preliminary rounds and then the medal rounds uh, to essentially decide who would play in the bronze medal game, who would play in the gold medal game. Did I, did I, did I call it? I think I did. We got, we got our, we got our answer here. I'm going to ignore what you said. Um, (laughs) Anyway. um, Like normal. Yeah. Well, (laughs) what can we say? Um, Actually the, the more curious case was actually sitting in the, in the rounds, uh, the consolation rounds actually. Um, Mm -hmm. The Finns beat Hungary by a score of three to two in overtime. And then Japan beat Sweden by a score of five to four. And then Japan actually beat Finland one to nothing uh, to claim that fifth place spot and stay in group a for next year. So they will make the medal round regardless in the next world championship on the other side, uh, the medal round side, the U S beat the Czechs by a score of 10 to one Canada beating the Swiss eight to one. And the Czechs beat the Swiss for the bronze medal by a score of four to two. So Laura Kluge, congratulations to her um, ending up with a bronze medal. And unfortunately, Laura Zimmerman was the team that they ended up beating for the Swiss in that one. And then Canada beating the United States two to one mm-hmm. for gold. Um, Brianne Jenner had both Canada goals. Um, Abby Rock uh, scored for the United States in that contest. Final rankings are Canada one, US two, uh, Czechia, Switzerland, and Japan round out group A the next time in the top five. Uh, the Finns, Sweden, Hungary, and Germany round out the top nine. And then the host team, Denmark, was 10th. So they will be in the relegation round moving into next year. So, mm-hmm. um, Nick, I, I, I guess very quickly, I mean, we've seen it akin where whoever seems to win uh, in that preliminary round doesn't get the job done in the medal round. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know your thoughts on the game. And Abby Ruck actually had a comment about it, too, um, and said that uh, it felt like Canada – uh, essentially you kind of call them a bunch of divers essentially in the way that they played. Um, you know, is there any, anything to that? And, and really are, are we surprised that Canada who 
was a decently oiled machine, but was not as good as they were 12 months ago, kind of slowly found their footing and got the job done when the time was needed. Well, we talked about it last week and how I thought that, you know, their offensive show might wasn't quite where we normally see them, yeah. but defensively they were still very good. And, and I, we, I, my concern was exactly that. And dare I say, it hit the nail right on the head, which was the United States were getting the job done relatively easy. And that does not normally historically bode well in the metal round. Yeah. And dare I say it did. And, and, and here's the thing, there is something to where they're saying they're a bunch of divers, not because we can control the referees, but more so it's the game within the game, right? It's, it's, it's sort of messed with their heads a little bit. And at the end of the day, if you're not, if you feel like you're not getting the calls, if you feel like the game isn't going your way, you can't get to your game. Um, it sort of looked like that. Um, that all adds up to, well, not a gold medal. And so unfortunately for the U S um, is it excuse on the surface though? Yeah. Um, but it, it affected them in the way that they were able to execute their game plan um, yeah, when it mattered most. And, and unfortunately it cost them. And you know, I shouldn't, you know, it's still very good to get a silver medal, but no question this U S team had hopes and certainly had the roster to compete for a gold. And granted it's a one goal game, two to one, but uh, definitely disappointing from the way that the preliminary round and dare I say, even the, the, the game before that, how things were trending, uh, not the finish they wanted for sure. Yeah, kind of interesting here. Uh, the U.S. had um, one less power play or one more penalty, I should say, than Canada did in the game. So the disparity wasn't huge. No. Um, but, uh, you know, and then, of course, it's just the mental game, right? It really yeah. Is. And then, of course, Marie Philip Poulin, of course, shot block at the end of that game. What do you expect? Uh, I mean, just I, the she, gamer again. Yeah. You know, she, so. it, she's she's insane. She's absolutely insane. Insanely yes. good. So, you know, whatever you want to say, Canada came together at the right time. U.S. had a great tournament, though. I mean, you lose. They did, yes. You, you know, you lose by one goal to a very good Canada team who found their footing at the right time. Um, you know, congratulations to the Canadians. Uh, well fought, well deserved, um, I think. And the U.S., nothing to really hang their heads on. I think they wanted a little bit more knowing how successful they were through the tournament. But it was the matchup of the big dogs. And, you know, the U.S., I would say, arguably, was probably the better team in the tournament. Um, mm -hmm. But... You know, that's why you play the game. 60 minutes of hockey and uh, final score two to one. So, um, yep. unfortunately, uh, after the game was probably the worst part of this mm, whole thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hockey Canada CEO Scott Smith was the one who ended up handing Passing out the medals. Yeah. Flew flying into Denmark. I mean, what a major middle finger to yeah. uh, the game of hockey, especially for Canada. And really, the Canadian women had released a statement for the tournament talking about how um, – you know, they wanted to represent Canada as a country, but they didn't want to wear the Hockey Canada sweater, so to speak, or the emblem, yes. you know, and I think that speaks volumes. So to have the very guy that's at the head of that and the principal point of what this is all about. And I think it's interesting because, I mean, it was very tone deaf, quite obviously. Very, yes. But you have, you know, this group of women who really kind of want to just do their own thing. And really, I feel like if you're Hockey Canada, you want to stay out of the limelight you know, while you can, you, you want, you know, things have kind of died down a little bit for the time being till we get some more clarity on the next thing. Why open yourself up to that? And number two, it's almost as the Steve Dangle podcast alluded to it, almost defiant the way that hockey yeah, was like, well this, is, well, this is what a CEO does. You know, we can validate and justify why this decision was made like bullshit, dude. Like it's bad. Yeah, it, it is. You know? and it's well, it's almost like, because 
wasn't there because mind you hockey canada is a governmental you know like supported body too which is yeah, weird which we have some more info on that but you know yeah the, the question is why do you not pick somebody like Haley wickenheiser or somebody who is you know so, right yeah. um it's it, it it just it just speaks to like you mentioned perfectly tone deaf right and because yeah. it wasn't hockey canada just prior to that um was it the the ceo wasn't he sort of backed by legislation or it was claiming that uh it, there was some argument that they were making that well you know i'm supported by the legislators that are in control of this so was it in his mind granted albeit wrong to carry that sort of like dare i say uh, oh geez a, a sense of ego to why he handed that out like you said it, yeah. it was a giant middle finger it's it's the wrong move 100 percent. you know and it's like what you know what would have been a better move it's like it's not that he doesn't have to say or do anything it's like imagine you send Haley wickenheiser to denmark canada wins the gold medal she hands out the medals in hockey canada you know even if it's from him says hockey canada is very proud of our women um and a big special thanks to Haley wickenheiser for handing the medals well deserves hockey canada wishes the women seem the best moving forward like End, so so you know? here's right so here is the, the the here's the probably the antithesis of that so hockey canada where you're just validated somewhat you know with some of the conversations from the previous week and then you send anybody but the ceo to hand out the medals is that sort of an admission of guilt or I mean, i'm just trying to think about right you know from their standpoint granted albeit not correct but you kind of wonder if that you there's no way they didn't think about that it's kind of how i see it and is it doubling down in a sense yes it is it's doubling down again it's throwing the bird at uh the women's hockey players in that moment but you kind of wonder yeah. if all they were looking for was that sense of validation which they then got which means well then it's just business as usual uh, to me that's kind of in my best guess the way that maybe they approached it definitely from my standpoint not the way it should have been done but that's my guess. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, the nice thing is, Nick, um, it's not the only bit of Hockey Canada news we have, actually. Oh, is that so? Interesting. Saw this today from the Toronto Sun, which take that with a grain of salt, which you will. But yes. um, from 2010 to 2017, um, Hockey Canada actually owned a condominium oh, right. a condo, yep. in Toronto. Um, and it was purchased. They believe the price was probably around half a million dollars that it was purchased. And the which sell actually is cheap in Toronto. Let's be real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unit was purchased in 2010. Um, and it, Hockey Canada said, this is their direct quote or their reasoning, um, was purchased in 2010 to alleviate costs associated with staff and directors traveling to Toronto, including for the 2015 and 2017 IIHF World Junior Championships. It was sold in 2017. However, Multiple post-media sources in the position know that circa 2009-10, around where this purchase would have been made, in interviews did not listed did not list the coming 2015 or 2017 World Junior Championships as an express reason they ever heard for the purchase. And indeed, it was not until June of 2013, three years after the condo was purchased, um, that Toronto and Montreal were even announced as co-hosts right. of those tournaments. Um, and the other argument was another executive said, well, it would be a place that, you know, executives would use for stopovers and what have you for meetings and that sort of thing, which not to say that wouldn't be legit. But however, board governance experts said Hockey Canada's condo ownership wouldn't make financial sense because the board only met four to five times per year. So, right. So you're essentially using 
as a non-for-profit organization, whatever profit you're making, uh, essentially to buy a place in Toronto to like do whatever the hell you want to do mm-hmm. in the, that is not in the best interest of the public and that funds you to do this. I yeah. mean, is that, is that tone deaf 2.0 here? Like more like 3.0, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, and, and, and here's, here's something to consider though, the world junior championships, the it's sort of like, dare I say the NCAA frozen four sites. It's like, although they're not announced, they're the worst kept secrets as well. Yeah. Now I'm not excusing that because I do, because f- I really truly feel like they probably did know, but that's not the argument, right? The argument yeah. is if you're going to be purchasing high price real estate, half a million, still half a million bucks, right? It's not, and, it's not and, hotel fees. And you mentioned, even if you're using it for the world juniors, I mean, I don't know how big it was, but like, it's an apartment. Like how many people can yeah. you fit into an apartment even for right. a world junior championship? You're not saving money on hotel bills regardless yeah. of that. Now, if you're talking, Hey, real estate investment, and we purchased it in Oh nine for this, but now we sold it for this and we actually made money from it. That's different, but they didn't mention that. Yeah. They didn't mention know, that, you know, and it's interesting. They said, and they don't know what the sale price was. They were thinking it was probably somewhere between six to $800,000, but again, not that much. Right. But again, they talked about the piece. It's like, you know, did the cost of maintaining it and having it year after year, is that alleviated by that? And moreover, again, we talked about the principle of the thing. How, uh, what's the justification for it? Right. You know? Especially why, for the why, amount of times you use it. Yeah. Why does Hockey Canada need an, uh, an apartment? You know, it's and no, it's, no and, and it's, than, yeah. And it's one thing if you say, oh, well, we rented this meeting room three times a year on the high rise of this building that overlooks Toronto. It's like, I, yeah, if you want to have a little bit of glitz and glamour to impress some people when your Hockey Canada brings them in. Yeah, I get that. You know, but it's like, what, what, what is the per- and the thing is, I hate to say it. And again, no evidence of this, but with everything that's gone on as far as like sexual allegations related to that, the organization that's under fire for this, having a private apartment for its executives is Mm -hmm. not a good look on top of that because you don't know what's going on there. And here's the thing. If you have an apartment that is theoretically owned by this organization and something bad happens, even if it's not of Hockey Canada's accord, if it's just one of the executives or something that does something, who does that fall on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's weird, right? Because, and again, for, for, I think we need to remind our listeners too, what, if this is a private business this is not a huge deal. Yeah. The fact that Hockey Canada literally gets subsidized funds from the Canadian government, mm-hmm. so their spending is watched more closely. It'd be no different than you know. It's slightly different if you would say hockey. You're still asking the same questions. It's more like, well, it's funds that we raise. It's funds that are not you know given by essentially taxpayers. So it's a right. slightly different argument, but still the same argument applies. Well, what's the need for this? Right. But the fact you're taking taxpayer money and then still using that for these types of purchases and proceeds on top of everything else, they seems to be mismanaged and misoperated. It's like, it just continues to show that the leadership that we just talked about, which was sent out under effectively their own arrogance and ego to handle gold medals these are the same persons that are misallocating taxpayer dollars and not, you know, running a public entity correctly when they're spending half a million dollars on a place they don't need to. 
and it's and that's interesting just a purchase price like you said and it's interesting some reports said scott smith was actually the direct one who advocated for the purchase and others say they mm -hmm. don't so i don't know how true that is but again we don't either know the way, cell it's under his leadership right we don't know the sell point either like i said you know five five hundred thousand dollars they could have sold it for three hundred thousand dollars and lost money too i know i right. so nobody knows um, very interesting but what i do know nick um is that next week uh, as far as we know potentially a uh, uh, normal sunday show release last nchc preview the st cloud state huskies coming in at number four here excited to talk about this one obviously for all our st cloud state fans so if you have any questions that's the preview that's coming up we'll release something obviously but if you want to ask before then uh, we're happy to uh, put them in the archives and get ready for our final preview of the season um and a lot of exciting things to talk about the video board going up at the herbergs national hockey center mm -hmm. and we are just a couple of weeks away about three and a half weeks away nick for some from hockey season um, yes, and even less for NHL preseason. So very exciting yes. um, things that we look forward to. So without further ado, Nick, um, for yourself, as well as myself, uh, follow us at warming house den on Twitter, find us at warming, uh, excuse me, at Huskies warming house podcast.com. And we will see you soon from the den.